Welcome to Pop Culture Rx, part of Hackensack Meridian Health's award-winning podcast. Pop Culture Rx is where we sit down with a medical expert and talk through various health-related topics circulating in today's media. In our discussions, you'll hear from a variety of professionals sharing insight and advice on these newsworthy conditions. This is Pop Culture Rx. On March 23rd, the first two installments of Demi Lovato's four-part docu-series, Demi Lovato, Dancing with the Devil, were released. And we see Demi share details about her struggles with substance abuse, which led to her near-fatal heroin overdose in 2018, as well as other noteworthy topics, including her sexuality, a failed engagement, as well as her hashtag MeToo experience. Today, I'm here with Dr. Akash Shah, the Director of Addiction Medicine at Jersey Shore University Medical Center and the Medical Director of Project HEAL. Thanks for being here, Dr. Shah. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure to, uh, to be here. Appreciate it. So I wanted to really dive in about Demi's story and, and I watched the first two parts of, of the docu-series and it's, it's really riveting. Um, so yeah. if anyone hasn't watched it yet or you know, if, we're, if you're listening to this past the first two installments, definitely go and watch. Um, but about a month after celebrating her six years of sobriety, mm. Demi relapsed and even points out that she's surprised she didn't OD that night when mm. she first relapsed. Yeah. Do you find relapsing to be a common part of the journey yeah. of getting to be sober? Yeah, I think uh, returning to use is uh, part and parcel of uh, wrestling with drug addiction. You know, I think one of the things we've realized in recent years is that drug addiction is very much a, a disease. And so in the same way that someone with diabetes may occasionally have a donut, uh, someone with high blood pressure may occasionally have a salt-filled meal, uh, someone with a substance use disorder may return to use. I think it's an expected part of the journey and not something that we should judge someone for or push someone away. But in fact, much the opposite, I think we should be certainly as healthcare providers, but even as family, friends, neighbors of those who suffer from, from substance use disorders, uh, I think we should just be pulling them closer at times of need, particularly uh, when they find themselves, as, as Demi did, returning to use, uh, given all that was happening in her life at that time. Yeah, I mean, she mentions one of the first sentences, and I was actually talking about this earlier before we started our podcast today, mm. that she mentions anytime you suppress a part of yourself, you're going to overflow. Mm. And they go into this detail of the strict rules that were in mm. play to keep her sober, right? So all the people around her had to be sober. No one could be using any drugs. No one could mm. be ha having any alcohol. The, everyone had to, you know, be substance-free entirely. Um, and then they also went into the fact that everything was controlled, her food, her workout, her sleep schedule, everything had some kind of control over it. So mm. almost like saying, you know, it makes sense that mm. she relapsed because there was so much mm. control over her yeah. at that time. Yeah, I think, and there is something so profound, you know, in the docu-series, she also has this uh, incredible insight. And like so many great insights, she just sort of casually drops it in there. She says that it felt like things were all or none. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and so I think that's part and parcel of when things are all or none, when you treat something as black and white, good or bad, um, you end up uh, being forced to take these extreme measures that may seem to be working over a short period of time, but as she discovered over a much longer period of time, uh, ended up 
overflowing uh, or bubbling over and in a very dramatic way, in her case, with a near fatal overdose. And so the reason why I find that so, so profound, Kylie, is just, you know, I think for a very long time, uh, we have tried to treat addiction in a similar all or none black or white way. Mm -hmm. Um, You either use or you're completely sober. And the reality is that increasingly, and the the evidence points this out, and certainly my experience with patients points this out, is that um, maybe the a better way of approaching it is simply through the lens of harm reduction of uh, helping an individual in the here and now and allowing them to take a, a step in the right direction. So maybe instead of asking someone to go from uh, using every day to not using at all, maybe as their, their physician, all we want to do is help them. And I shouldn't say all we want to do because it is a gargantuan task uh, in and of itself, but help them move from using a lot every day to using a little less. Uh, and when they're ready, using a little less still. And I think if we keep the focus on just reducing harm instead Mm -hmm. of saying it's all or none, it's black or white, it's using or not using, but instead meet individuals where they are and help them take the next step in the right direction, uh, we would do a a whole hell of a lot more good. And so um, I I think so much of what Demi shared about her story resonated with me, uh, and particularly that, uh, that insight resonated with me. Yeah, so almost like weaning them off of whatever substance they're abusing. Yeah, and I think to uh, um, yeah, one step at uh, one step at a time. And so um, sometimes it might have to do with reducing the use of a of substance. Uh, okay. Sometimes it might be other ways of reducing harm. Right? I've got patients who uh, aren't quite ready to uh, to stop using or even reduce using. But um, you know, as I listen to to sort of what is really important to them in their life, uh, there's often an opportunity to motivate them to, to say, okay, if, if that's what's most important to you, let's at least make sure that if, if you are gonna use, you're safe. And so what that looks like sometimes is, is not even being, uh, to use your phrase, weaned off a substance, but just let's make sure that uh, you know, if you're going to use uh, a substance like like heroin, let's make sure that you have Narcan at your side um, so that, God forbid, if you were to overdose, um, uh, you or someone around you is able to give you the medication you need to make sure uh, that you don't end up between a rock and a hard place the way that Demi Lovato did in the, the ICU that night. And so yeah. uh, sometimes it's reducing harm in the form of uh, making sure Narcan is around when someone uses. Um, and sometimes it's uh, reducing use. And sometimes it's it's something much more dramatic altogether. But I think we need to broaden the way in which we think about how to uh, help those in need and how to reduce the harm that they face uh, when and uh, where they're ready. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned someone else distributing Narcan to them. So Demi actually mentions how, or her family mentions Mm -hmm. how they struggled with the fact that they could not help someone that doesn't want to help themselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, do you find a lot of people really, you know, not only is the person struggling with addiction, but their Mm -hmm. family is also affected. Mm -hmm. So do you find that, you know, it's a it's an all together kind yeah. of kind of treatment for yeah. them because, you know, one, a lot of people might not even realize that mm. they're abusing a substance, but mm. at the same time, they might not be looking for help. So mm. how do you you know, how do you go about that? Yeah, no, I think you're you're absolutely right. Like this is uh, this doesn't just affect an individual, but it affects everyone around them. Right. Last night I was working in our emergency room and I was uh, um 
reminded of this yet again, right? I had this uh, gentleman who um, is struggling with opioid use disorder and uh, um, and just listening to his story and then uh, jumping on the phone with his sister uh, and his other sister and his mother, I came to appreciate just how long a night it had been for them all. And all of it had been precipitated uh, by his um, his use. And, um, and it was so clear that not only uh, did they love him deeply and he loved them deeply, but um, the use had become problematic and it was uh, making life not only more difficult for, for him, but all those around him. Yes. Um, and so I'm hopeful that last night we started taking steps in the right direction. But um, to your point, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, it is a disease that not only affects um, the individual, but uh, all those uh, they love and all those around them. So I think you're absolutely yeah. right. So what are some of, you know, the factors that may cause addiction? You know, is this a choice? Is yeah. this a disease? Yeah. You know, what, what kind of are those steps that really say, you know, okay, I have a problem yeah. right now? Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, Kylie, that question is, is it's a so, fully so loaded important. Question. Yeah, no, no, it's a loaded <laughs> question. Uh, and I think there's two things I'd like to unpack there. But let me start with the first one, which is, you know, this question of is it a choice? Is it a disease? Because that's a question that that resonates with me because it's one that I've wrestled with uh, mm -hmm. as I was uh, uh, going through college, as I was coming through medical school, as I was in residency. It was something that I was actively wrestling with. And to this day, I know many still do, um, and understandably so, right? Addiction is just such a complicated disease. Um, but you know, let me tell you about when I first came to understand that um, addiction uh, was in fact a, a disease. I was an intern in emergency medicine. Okay. Right? I was in my very first year of training um, at a hospital here in New Jersey. And a patient about my age had, uh, had come into the emergency room that day. Um, she was extraordinarily polite. Uh, in fact, I think, uh, I think she started with an apology. She said, Doc, I am... I'm so sorry to take up your time with this today. I um, I, I use drugs. Um, in fact, I'm someone who always tells my friends who use uh, to make sure that they use clean needles. But I, of course, didn't just this once. And and I think uh, I ended up getting uh, an abscess, an infection from it. And I've just been I've been doing my best to to take care of it at home, doc. But it's just gotten so large and so painful. I think it needs to be drained. Um, and I, of course. Um, told her uh, that there was there was no need to apologize, that um, that I was glad she came in and I was more than happy uh, to do what I can to help her um, uh, and certainly in the here and now. And mm -hmm. so um, I grabbed some, some lidocaine and equipment to drain the abscess and just as I'm uh, getting ready to do so, uh, the nurse walks in and he, uh, he tells me, uh, Akash, there's... Um, there's an emergency a couple doors down uh, with one of your patients you need, we, we need you. Um, and so I, of course, apologize to my patient for having to abruptly step out and, yeah. and head two doors down. Um, and, um, and I'm embarrassed to admit that I was probably in that other room for um, 60, 70, upwards of 80 or 90 minutes. Um, and I still, Kylie, I still distinctly remember going back into that original patient's room and when i opened the door she was doubled over in the corner um beet red hair standing on edge uh actively retching into a garbage pail and um and i just froze uh and and then i unfroze um and i said <laughs> oh my goodness um 
let me let me get you some medicine to help uh and i i went to the pixis the machine where all the medicines are kept in the uh in the emergency room and as the nurse is getting the medicines it dawned on me what happened in the 70 80 probably over 90 minutes that i was in the other room she had been waiting patiently for me um and she certainly hadn't used uh and as a result had gone into withdrawal amazing um, how fast that yeah, happened yeah i know you're exactly right and and so you know uh she had gone into withdrawal and i i realized in that moment that regardless of how you were first exposed to a substance whether it was because you were uh, offered it recreationally at a party, whether it was because you were, as it sounds like Demi Lovato was, trying to escape some type of child or adulthood trauma, uh, or because you were prescribed it by a, a physician like me, regardless of how you were first exposed, regardless of if at that time it was a choice, uh, conscious or unconscious, um, once you had become dependent on it once your yeah. body had uh, its biology its neurobiology its neurophysiology had rewired itself uh, to be dependent on the substance um, then it was no longer a choice at that point it was a real and tangible disease um, and one in which if you went just a little too long without using as that woman did in the emergency room that day um, then the way you felt uh, was how she did and and candidly Kylie I know few people who could endure feeling the way she did that day um, uh, myself included who could endure feeling the way she did that day and still do all the things that I think any of us both her and I and you uh, and so many others want to do every day which is you know drop our our kids off at school mm -hmm. um, be there for our co-workers and our colleagues and and share a laugh with our loved ones over dinner but there's simply no way to do that um, if what happens when you go too long without using is feeling the way she did that day. And so that's how I first came to appreciate that, you know, even if uh, the decision to use was a choice um, mm -hmm. and, and who among us hasn't made a bad choice. I know I've made more than my fair share. Even if that was a choice, once your body had become dependent on a substance, um, uh, it at that point uh, was a disease. Um, pivoting a little bit, you know, one of the other questions in that uh, very loaded, but yes. I think very wonderful question uh, and very important question that you asked is, um, how do we how do we know when something's crossed over to being uh, a problem? A problem, um, and I'd say it is when. Um, it starts um, having a negative impact on your day-to-day -day life, right? So I think when we think about substances, and this is a, a complicated and really subtle idea, but I think it's an important one, right? Um, I think of myself, right? There, I am in many ways dependent on caffeine, right? Yes. I have coffee multiple times a day. Um, if I go a day uh, without using it, I go into caffeine withdrawal mm -hmm. um, and I certainly experience headaches and body aches and um, the kind of things that one does when they go uh, um, without, uh, without having caffeine or coffee too long. Yeah. Um, but, you know, my use is not problematic, right? I am not... Um, uh, showing up uh, late to my job because I was trying to find a cup of coffee. I am not <laughs> stealing money from my my loved ones because I needed to purchase a cup of coffee, right? So uh, yes, my body's dependent on this substance, on caffeine, um, 
but it isn't in a way that's problematic. And so it isn't resulting in a, a disorder uh, okay. like caffeine use disorder. Um, but in Demi Lovato's case, and, and so, so many others, uh, not only had their body become dependent on a substance like like opioids or like alcohol, um, but they were starting to, to make really poor decisions as a result, right? Um, it wouldn't surprise me, and I can't speak to Demi's story uh, specifically, though maybe later installments in the docu-series get into it, but you know, I have a number of patients who uh, are not simply dependent, but their use is incredibly problematic, right? They're doing the kind of things I alluded to they are um, showing up late or missing work altogether wow. um, because uh, they're trying to, to use a substance to avoid feeling the way that woman did in the emergency room that I just described, right? They are um, unable to pick up their kids from school because they're trying to, um, to find a substance so they don't feel the way that woman did in the emergency room that day. They are stealing money from their, their loved ones um, because they're trying to, to secure a substance um, to avoid feeling the way that, um, uh, that that woman did that day. So that's how I think about some of these issues where you know, we use any number of substances, but when our use starts to have clear and unequivocally negative impacts on our life, then it's a, a full-blown disorder, then it's a mm -hmm. full-blown addiction, um, and one for which when individuals are ready, um, they ought to seek help. And until that time, I think the rest of us ought to find ways to, uh, uh, to reduce the harms associated with that use. And I know that's easier yeah. said than done. How do you get a loved one who may be addicted or who, you know, may have some type of, of issue with a substance or with alcohol, how do you kind of help them see that yeah. they they are are having this issue? Yeah. yeah. So I I think it takes uh it takes time. Um and I think it takes doing what um family members and loved ones often do best, which is um, not judging and simply understanding um, what it is that um, uh, that an individual struggling with substance use uh, needs and um, uh, and then using that to motivate them to um, if not uh, stop using altogether um, find ways to uh, make sure that their uses is, is less harmful mm -hmm. um, and then to to um, uh, to actually being able to to connect them to help, you know what I've found in my practice is that I rarely can predict what it is uh, that is going to make the stars align in in one's life and allow them to achieve recovery. Um, sometimes it comes in the form of a new job. Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes it comes in the form of a new pet. Uh, sometimes it comes in the form of. Uh, um, a new family member, often a, a child, and and sometimes it comes in the form of something uh, far more dramatic and disruptive. And I'm rarely able to figure out exactly what that's going to be for an individual. Um, but I do know that as someone who cares about the individual across from me, uh, the most important thing I could do and that their friends and their family and their loved ones can do is make sure that that individual stays alive long enough um, for whatever it is that's going to make a world a difference to the uh, them uh, for for that to come into being. And so um, there's a number of things that can help do that. I'd love to uh, to get into some of that. Some of those are, are medications yeah. that help individuals stay alive. Some of those are, are other treatments altogether. Um, but uh, but helping someone um, 
feel as though they're not judged, uh, feel comfortable around you, use what motivates them um, to, uh, to take steps, however big or however small, in the right direction. Um, and then most importantly, and, and I don't mean to, to be dramatic here, but these situations, as I think Demi's story shows us, are often life or death um, mm-hmm. or, or very close to that. Unfortunately. Um, yeah, you're exactly right. Um, making sure that they're able to stay alive long enough uh, so that that change does, does come. Make sure to tune in May 4th for part two of this podcast. If you have a topic you'd like for us to cover, submit your ideas on hmh4u.org backslash podcast. Your suggestion could be included in the You Ask For It special episodes. The material provided through this Help You podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.